You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Let us read the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Let's pray before we turn our attention to this passage. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of the hearts of those who might hear this sermon would be pleasing to you. We ask you to send your spirit to come like fire upon us, to come like wind, to convert us, to convict us, to consecrate our hearts, that we might be ever loyal to you, our great God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2011, Boston College released a study called The Joys and Dilemmas of Wealth. Their Center on Wealth and Philanthropy had conducted a multi-year study surveying some 165 households who had an average net worth of $78 million about the joys and dilemma of wealth. And question number two of the survey was, how financially secure do you feel? And it probably won't come as a surprise to many, but the majority said they did not feel financially secure. Then there was a follow-up question, when would you feel financially secure? And nearly everybody who did not feel financially secure said they needed at least a quarter more wealth than they currently had before they could feel financially secure. The study's fascinating. You can find it online and the Atlantic spent some time reflecting on it. But it confirms, I think, what we already know, and that's this. Contentment is one of those rare jewels that cannot be bought at a price. Contentment can be earned or achieved. And the irony of ironies is this. We all believe we are the exception, though. We all believe that if we just had an average net worth of $78 million, 
we would be the rare exception. We would find contentment if we just attain this kind of wealth. Listen, Paul's wrapping up his letter to the church at Philippi. He's essentially, his whole goal of writing back to them was to say thank you and to address some problems he had heard. He's thanking them that they sent him this large gift that helped him and sustained him while he was under house arrest. You got to remember that there was no three meals. There's no warm beds. There was no clothing even for prisoners. And this gift comes at tremendous help to him in his time of need as he sits in chains. But as he thanks them, he wants to teach them a lesson about contentment. And as I reflected on this passage all week, I couldn't help but think, my goodness, if the church in Philippi needed a lesson on contentment, how much more would Paul give one to us? A culture whose whole economy seems to be driven by discontentment. Advertising industries constantly luring and telling you, you need more. We all have a restlessness, a certain dissatisfaction that is co- we constantly walk around with. We all carry cell phones and participate in social media that gives us within seconds what we want, whether that be gossip, whether that be shopping, or that be sex. We've been made to be a people who have learned how to be discontent no matter what the circumstance. And Paul will want us to learn contentment. Here's how I want to look at this passage this morning. First, I want to look at the problem of contentment this passage shows us. Then I want to look at the path towards contentment that Paul gives us. And then I want to end our time just reflecting briefly on the product of contentment. So first, what what is the problem of contentment? What's the unique problem contentment provides for us? And the problem of contentment is this, is that we all believe we can earn it or achieve it. And Paul is saying that is just not possible. And he wants to go out of his way to show that to the church in Philippi. He's saying, thank you for your gift. Verse 10, he rejoices that they were concerned for him. But almost immediately he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, I'm to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, from the onset, we might say contentment is some kind of deep and uh, steady satisfaction in life, an ease of mind and body. And Paul is saying that we need to understand the problem, though, of contentment. We all long for that deep and steady satisfaction in our life, but we assume we have to earn it. And we assume we can achieve it, and we assume that if we just find and attain to the right status or attain the right thing, we will have it. And Paul wants the church in Philippi to say to know that that's not where contentment is found. So he says, thank you for this gift. Thank you so much for remembering me. But that is not at all where my satisfaction comes. You see, this is the contentment trap. The contentment trap is this. We all believe, every one of you right now believes, if I could just get X, fill in the blank, then I'd be satisfied. Every one of you has some idea about how to fill in that blank. Some of yours are more shallow than others. Some of yours are more attainable than others. But here's the reality. Contentment is a trap, whether it be financial position or position in your career, or whether it be a certain achievement you long for, or maybe if you're a child, it's just a toy. As soon as you attain that, you will immediately realize you don't have all that you need. You'll immediately realize you're not fully satisfied. You'll be like the kid the day after Christmas, who's already bored with her toys. You see, even when we attain what we hope would give us satisfaction, we have to maintain it. We have to hold on to it. And we find ourselves constantly insecure. This is why the wealthiest of the world will still say they need a quarter more to be financially secure. You cannot achieve contentment. Contentment 
puts a carrot on a stick in front of us and we our contentment is like a carrot on a stick in front of us and we chase these items that we think will give us contentment but they never will we'll never catch the carrot this is so beautifully illustrated in the musical hamilton um alexander hamilton this a uh, son of a uh, prostitute who was an orphan, who has no status in a society where status meant so much, ha- builds himself up and works himself up from nothing to become one of the founding fathers of the U.S. And you'll remember, so much of the play revolves around Hamilton's complex character. He's got this insatiable drive, which helped make him an incredible man, but also created conflict. You'll remember there's one song, um, it's the toast at his wedding, and I believe Angelica's singing the toast. Uh, It's a song called uh, Satisfied. And Angelica, whose sister is being married to Hamilton, is singing over the couple, May They Always Be Satisfied. And as she's singing, we get into the mind of Alexander Hamilton, and he begins to sing about how he's actually never been satisfied. And he realizes he never will be satisfied. The other song that illustrates this is the song Nonstop. You'll remember as uh, Alexander Hamilton is working with incredible productivity, his friends sort of get around him and they say, why are you writing like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. This musical beautifully, beautifully illustrates a man with incredible drive and talent and potential who just was never satisfied. He can never achieve enough. So I must ask, what is in your contentment trap? What is that carrot in front of your nose? Right now, what do you believe if I just attained X, this cash position in my retirement? If I just, if I just attained this, then I would be happy. Then I would be content. If I just could get married, then I would be at peace. I would finally be satisfied you get married. If I just could have kids, I didn't think it'd be so hard. Then I would be satisfied. You have kids. If my kids weren't rebels, if they could just get into good schools, then I would be satisfied and on and on and on it goes. Listen, we all have this carrot in front of our nose. The only question is, have you acknowledged it as a problem? Are you seeking accountability for it? Or are you caught up in this discontentment trap? Paul doesn't want us caught in this problem of discontent of contentment. And so he gives to us a path towards contentment. So now let's look at the path Paul gives us towards contentment. Paul says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to bound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, maybe the most well-known verse in this book. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now what's Paul saying? This phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, is, is one of those Bible verses you see on the sort of Etsy Christian art world. Um, it's the kind of verse you see, you know, over a gym, over the bench press, thinking somehow if you <laughs> just trust in Christ, you'll be able to bench a personal record every time you go to the gym. What's Paul talking about? Well, I think Paul is not talking about a bench pressing record um, or just even getting through hardship. He's talking about attaining contentment. He realizes that he can only attain it through Christ who gives to him strength. Christ has earned or has uh, something that he gives to Paul, which gives to him strength. 
Paul, after this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, gives another thanksgiving about the ways in which the church in Philippi partnered with him and why he's thankful that they partnered. And then he gives the key, I believe, the path towards contentment in verse 19, when he says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, what's Paul saying? I don't believe Paul is saying, my God will give you everything you want. Certainly a man sitting in prison would be foolish to even write that to a church. I don't think he's promising health, wealth, and prosperity, vacation, retirement funds, sort of high yield interests or high yield investments. I don't think that's what this verse means. Paul has already made clear that these things are part of the trap. They will never satisfy us. But I believe what Paul is saying is that Christ has earned something. And what he has earned is is now given to us so that we can be satisfied. It's possible to learn and gain contentment, knowing full and well that God supplies not what we want, but exactly what we need. Now, how does this work? Now, I have to be really careful here as we think about uh, how God operates. He's obviously a being who embodies contentment. But you have to ask yourself, what sort of motivates and what drives God? You know, obviously he is motivated and has a drive to promote his own glory, that his own name be celebrated. He is the highest being. Um, but the, the good news that we celebrate, that we come to church weekly and reflect on, is that there was something about God, something about his character that was such that he created the world because he wanted to interact with human beings. He wanted little image bearers like us. And even after our first parents were deceived, after we ate the forbidden fruit, trying to find satisfaction in a part of the world he told us we could never find it in. Even then, it's almost as though God did not sleep. He did not rest or wait to put forward a plan to be near to us. You see, it's not the story of the Bible that God pursued you, that God pursued me, that he's driven, yes, by a desire for his own glory, but the way that that works itself out is he is driven to bring you close to him. He put forward a plan to send his son to the world and was not the mission of Jesus that he would not lose one that the father had given to him. You see, this is the path towards contentment. When you realize the creator of the heavens and earth wasn't satisfied until he had you, it's only then that you will finally be satisfied when you realize you can have him. This is where contentment comes, realizing you've been rescued by the one who is driven to bring you near. And when you meditate on this, how it changes the lows of life, but also the highs, you begin to realize no matter how high you attain your status, no matter how good life is now, this will not define you because your satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. But also in the lows of lows, when you're down in the pits, you know then That your satisfaction is in a God who relentlessly pursued you and would not let you go. Who is taking you to a world that is to come. A world of unending joy and beauty and love. So if Jesus doesn't seem real to you right now. If he seems abstract. If he seems just like an idea. If he seems distant. Then you need to figure out how to pile drive this truth into your heart. Whether you are in plenty or need. When, if sin is your attempt to find satisfaction in something God has given to you, but not to find satisfaction in, if sin is trying to find satisfaction in things of this world, well, then salvation is finding satisfaction and contentment in God.
and being near to Him. And you need to remind yourself relentlessly that God did not stop to draw near to you. That His drive was to bring, and that, that uh, Jesus' mission was that He might not lose one. And when you understand this, and when you understand what God has done for you, This becomes the sort of central truth of your life. When you realize this can't go away, it can't be taken away, this becomes the means by which you experience deep satisfaction and contentment. This is the path towards contentment, knowing God's love for us, knowing what God has done in Jesus, knowing he will always give us what we need because he has given to us Jesus. But let's end by asking, what is the product of true contentment? And it's easy to miss. But Paul in this passage is saying, look, the product of true contentment is this. You become a people who give gifts, sacrificial gifts, pleasing gifts, which are acts of worship ultimately to God. This is evidence. This is the product of contentment. And in so doing, you join with Paul in saying in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Now, I need to wrap this up, but maybe we could look at it this way. If sin is finding contentment, and the stuff of this world, and the achievements you can have, and whatever uh, products you can attain. If sin is a contentment in sort of uh, finding achievements in God's world, but not in God himself, and if salvation is finding contentment in what Christ has achieved for you, then the product of contentment is finding those things which once you thought, once were the carrots that you thought would give you contentment, finding those things and using those things sacrificially, giving them to others in need. This is the product of contentment. And this is exactly what the church in Philippi did. If, if God is going to supply all their needs in Christ Jesus, and if he already has on the cross and in the, on the resurrection, then why hoard? Even though this church may have been in pretty severe poverty, they realized their wealth was of no importance. And so they gave it away. Your status at work, you'll use to be an agent of God's love to others, those under you. You'll be generous with your time. You'll use your position for the good of others, even if it doesn't advance you in your career track. You see, in conclusion, what are you living for? Listen, I promise you won't find contentment in anything in this world. You will chase your tail every day of your life until you end up in the grave. This passage is telling you, you can keep chasing your tail or you could stop and you could hear this. The God who made the heavens and the earth, the God you know made you, the God you know you have an obligation to, the God you know there's tension in your relationship. The good news we celebrate is this, that that God was not content to watch you continue chasing your tail till you ended up in the grave. And he sent forth his son to ensure that you would never be eternally separated from him. His desire and his drive was not rest to rest until he had secured you. This is what he sent his son to earth to do. And Jesus and his father were satisfied when they had you. And when you see that he lived a life that honored the father, but a life ultimately that was for you, when you realize, when you let it settle deep down into the recesses of your soul, that his desire was first and foremost for his father and his father told him the way in which you honor me is by pursuing these my sheep you realize his desire was for you when you realize one of his driving motivations yes was to honor the father but was also to rescue you when you realize the love that compelled him was a love that came to you when you did not deserve it well it's only when you see his passion that he had yes for his father but his passion also to pursue you 
that you finally see what God has done for you in Jesus. And you realize, you realize this, that you sing with Paul to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. But as you sing it, you realize he sung it over you first. And this is where you find deep, deep satisfaction in this world. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.